Hello, Life Changes Church. We are in our series, Move Again. We are looking through the book of Exodus as the Israelites move out of slavery and oppression, move through the wilderness, and move into the promises of God. Head over to our social media or our website for more content, such as podcasts and blogs. But also grab a notebook and a pen as we look at all that God has for us during this time. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, my family at the moment, as I do most weeks. Uh, a little girl turned five this week, and uh, yeah, which is very exciting. But pres- and, and she knew that birthday is coming, meaning presents. But then on Saturday, the incredibly kind people, Henry and Jeannie, did a, a great thing. They, uh, they, great for us, terrible for our neighbors. They bought a small drum set for our three-year-old boy, Benjamin. Almost three-year-old boy. And he, it was literally, it was, his day was, his life was made. He could not believe that he owned his own drum set, just like Joshy on the drums. He's just like, this is my world. I'm, I'm in, I'm in. But Olivia struggled with this because she's like, no, it's my birthday coming up. Why is he getting gifts in my, at my birthday week? We had to process this and the emotions were running high. And, uh, and not, to, uh, not to embarrass her, but just the, the dam all broke and just it was game over for her. She had all the emotions and it had been quite a big week already. And there's a lot of things going on in her heart and mind. And they just all sort of broke at this realization that Benji got a gift and she didn't. And that's not fair. Dad moment, I just sit down and help her. And, and after lots of conversation and crying going on and running off to granny and going to mom and just processing all these big emotions and trying to work out her place in the world in this season. I say to her, no, explaining her, no, we have to learn to rejoice with Benji now, so then he'll be happy for you on Wednesday when you get a gift. Okay, trying to make sense of it. And when the, she's, she's quite, a, quite a sharp little thing, and when the logic of the moment started to settle in, she started to realize that actually logically her argument was flawed, but emotionally she still wasn't there yet. So she had to pivot. You know, when you have to pivot your emotions into a different direction. So the tears come, and she said, I know that I know, but she said, but my bigger, my bigger worry, she said, is Benji doesn't love Jesus yet. <laughs> good save, my girl, good save. And I was at that moment that I turned to my wife and said, we know he doesn't love Jesus yet. We are praying for his salvation every day. Whew. So if, let's pray for Benji right now, that he'll come to a saving knowledge. But it was, it, was quite a, it was a very cute moment, and we had to understand the big emotions at play. But as I watched this scenario play out, and I thought at some level, I'm like, ah, oh, a, a juvenile response, a five-year-old response, an appropriate for age. But then I started to wonder about it a little bit and say, actually, isn't that a lot like me? Isn't that a lot like us a lot of the times? Where our, in this world where our emotions get stirred up, we start to forget after a while what our, the real cry of our heart is. We start, to, we start to pivot around the emotions and things get big in our lives. And I think very quickly we get duped by our emotions. We get duped by the circumstances we live in. And we start making things that aren't supposed to be big, massive things. And things that are supposed to be big things, small in the light of those things. And we live our lives on false dichotomies. When actually I want to remind us today, what I'm wanting to do this morning as part of our Move Against series, is I want to remind us of people who easily forget what we are made for, and the people who easily forget what God relentlessly fights for us for, I want to remind us of those things because we easily forget. And I want to bring us back to the right understanding of this. So this series we're doing is called Move Again out of the book of Exodus. And something that we've loved to say as we've been preaching through this is that we're reminding ourselves that this is a story that happened, but it's also a story that happens. The Exodus is not for the history books. This is a blueprint for you and I today, here and now, in 2022, here in Cape Town, because this is not just Israel's story. This is our story. 
of how God is remembering His promise. He is flexing His power and He's delivering us into the more that He has for us. Out of and into the future. That's what God has got for us. And we said in, the, in week one, we covered, we racing at breakneck speed, chapters one to four, we're defined by the promise that God keeps. He's a God who hears our cries. He sees our pain. He remembers his covenant. He forgets our sins, but he never forgets his promises. Part two of the series, we said, not only was a God of promises, but he's also a God of power. A God who, in a sense, said, actually, I, I've seen, I've heard, I've remembered, but I've come down. And he says, let my people go. And in, in, a, in a show of might, he, he flexes his muscles against the gods of Egypt. And he brings a nation to his knees so that his people would be set free. His arm is not too short to save. But today, I want to press us on into chapters 12 to 14. We're going to cover three massive chapters in the Bible today. But I want to give us three things that we were made for. Three things that you and I were made for. That the enemy wants us to forget. Three things that the, the, the almighty God of the Exodus is fighting for in every single life, here and now, today and every day, that we can so easily forget. I want to give us those three things. So before we do it, turn to your neighbor and tell them, we're having three things today, people. Three things. Three things. And then afterwards, you have my permission to ask them, what were those three things? Because we need to remember these things, people. Number one is that we need to remember that we were made for freedom. Why don't you shout that out with me? Say, freedom! freedom! Lovely. Let's read scripture. In Exodus chapter 12, starting from verse 11, it'll be on the screen behind me, but this is what it says. God speaking to Moses, Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I'll pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I'll execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. And if you jump down to verses 21, we keep reading. Now Moses, retelling the story to the elders, says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families and slaughter, over, slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin. Then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and the sides of the door frames of your houses. And no one may go out through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the, in the dungeon, even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night, and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Uh, a crazy narrative that's told in chapter 12 that leaves us on, on the edge of our seats as we realize the story, the situation that's happening. And it's on this night, on the back of this, that Pharaoh, whose heart has been hardened with every single plague, eventually relents and says, you may take your people. Get out of here. Go and worship God in the wilderness. You are set free. And lets a people who'd been enslaved for 430 years into their freedom. And I love something when I start to mull over this text, I start to realize that the people's freedom did not come about as a result of their obedience or righteousness. 
The Israelites were slaves for 430 years. And let me tell you, don't be fooled thinking that they were virtuous slaves for 430 years. They were crying out to God, yes. But as we read scripture, we find just mere chapters later, at the first moment of chaos, they turn back to Egyptian gods and make a, a golden idol into the shape of a cow. They turn back to what was learned in that season. In the book of Joshua, it ends in Joshua 24, says, you must forsake the gods that you started to worship in Egypt. These were people who had synchristically, the people of God that had, had forgotten who they were, forgotten what they are made for, and they started to worship God, foreign gods, so, but they were still God's people. But that's not what set them free. They weren't set free because they were virtuous or righteous or obedient. No. Neither were they set free by the powerful words that Moses spoke. We see again and again Moses saying the right words that God has said to him. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, thus says the Lord. And Pharaoh says, no. Time and time again. Not by their beards, not by their words, neither by God's mighty power, his miraculous power, were they set free. There were plague after plague after plague after plague, one by one dismantling the gods of Egypt in front of their very eyes. It was a no doubt who was doing this. Yahweh was on the move. And yet, Pharaoh said, no. Their freedom did not come as a result of their obedience, their words, nor by power, but by the shedding of blood. This is huge. If you think about the narrative right there, Moses says this to Pharaoh, saying, this is going to happen. Tonight, this is going to happen. He gives them forewarning, and Pharaoh hardens his heart again and says, I will not let your people go. I don't care what your God does to me. We will not let your people go. But then Moses goes to the people and says, I want you to go to get a lamb, and I want you to prepare a meal, and I want you to have bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and a roasted lamb. Then I want you to take the blood of that lamb with a hyssop branch and paint the blood on the top of your doorframe and down the lintel. And I want you that night to go and secure your family and make sure no one leaves or enters your home. Because tonight the angel of the Lord is passing over, and any home that does not have the blood will have death at its door, doorpost. will have the firstborn son dead. This is now, they realize, they've seen plague after plague. They know God is not playing games. This is not suggestion. This is not hinting. They are terrified. And they're going, at this moment, the God, it's not God saying, not if, hey, and if you've been virtuous, don't worry, you don't have to do the blood thing. If, if, you've, if you've prayed the right prayers, then you're okay, you're exempt. Or, or if, there's, if you've seen miracles, you're, you're okay. No, no, every single house had to have the blood. And can you imagine that moment as they know, as that, as that whole nation of Egypt goes quiet that night. And as the night comes, the Tawal says at midnight, the darkest hour. And I can imagine no one is sleeping in Israelite homes that night. As they, they quiver and they hold, and they're holding their little children, they're holding them around them. And they're waiting. The kids are saying, what are you doing? I want to go out. No, 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 no. Stay here with me. I just want to go to the bathroom. No, you're not leaving. You're not even leaving this room. We're staying here. And they, they're trembling. They're holding their family, looking at each other anxiously. And they hear the whisper of the angel of death moving across the land. They're holding tight, going, please God, please God, please God, may that be enough. Because at that moment, they can start saying, are you sure, Moses? Is that all that God said? The blood? That seems so strange. That seems so out of the order. Surely there's something more we should have done. Surely we could have had a prayer meeting first as well. Maybe we should have had mass repentance happen before this moment. But you've just told us, just put the blood. That's all. Is that all, Moses? That all God said? Because the fate of my family and my lineage and my, 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 if those I love rest on this act. Moses says, just put the blood. That's all I got from God. So they hold there and they're shaking. And one by one they hear screams coming up the valley. As Egyptian home after Egyptian home, his firstborns are struck down dead. Mama! Screams going. And Israelites are holding on going, no, please God, please God, please God, may that be not, please may it not be real for us. And they hear the, the whisper of the angel of death come to their home. 
and then pass over their home, go to the next home. A, a terrifying night. A terrifying night that was terrible and yet so great because it was on the back of this that their freedom as a people was leveraged. This is so huge for you and I, but I want to tell you today emphatically that God's delivery system of freedom for His people has always been through blood. It's always been through the shedding of blood. Let me tell you, case in point, something that is so deep in my heart, the way I build my theology is in Genesis chapter 22, you see a man named Abraham told by God, take your only son, Isaac, up a mountain that I will show you and sacrifice that boy to me. Abraham wrestling with this, this charge of God. Surely this, this can't be the way. This is the son of promise. But he obeys and he says, I'm going to believe you, God. I'm going to trust you on this, that you're the God who provides, that even if I, I lose my son today, that you'll somehow bring him back to me in resurrection. So Abraham goes to the top of the mountain for the time's sake. I'll make the story brief. But he lays his son down on the altar, straps him down, and is about to kill his son in obedience to God. And the voice of the Lord speaks again and says, Wait, Abraham! There's a lamb that's caught in the thicket. I want you to take your boy off, and I've provided a lamb for you in place of that boy. And in that moment, they say they call that mountain, On the mountain of the Lord, the, lamb, the, the Lord will provide. And in that crazy, crazy moment, we see the first instant where one human being gets set free when one lamb takes its place. Yeah. One lamb for one man. You read in Exodus chapter 12, this narrative, the narrative has been broadened where Moses says to the people, I want each family, in this moment, if you want your family to be kept safe, I need you to sacrifice a lamb. Yeah. Try to make sense of it, but they do it as we just told the narrative. And they, they do this, each family does this. In this moment, they realize families are kept safe because one lamb was sacrificed for a family. Genesis 22, we have one lamb for one man. Exodus chapter 12, one lamb for one family. Leviticus chapter 16, as the people are now in the wilderness, they get given a pattern saying, for the nation, once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest needs to take in a lamb and, and slaughter that lamb and take that blood into the holy of holies on behalf of the people. The high priest would go in and he'll shed the blood to get forgiveness for the people. All the people outside watching, looking in, watching a high priest go for them on their behalf. So in Genesis 22, one lamb for one man. Exodus 12, one lamb for one family. Leviticus 16, one lamb for one nation. And then in John chapter 1, Jesus comes up to the river Jordan. And John the Baptist says this. The first thing said about Jesus is, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One lamb for one individual. One lamb for one family. One lamb for one nation. One lamb for the world. I tell you, this has always been God's pattern. He is always building up to this crescendo. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says this, In Him, in Christ, not in your obedience, not in your prayer life, not in your, the ability of God to work miracles in your life. If God just could do a miracle, then I would believe. No, according to the pattern of Israel, they always forgot that God moved on their behalf. They saw the miracles and they fell back. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins through His blood. That is our trump card. That is our calling card, the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you today that our freedom is through the blood of Jesus. Now, I want to help us because I love the way this is navigated into the people's lives in that moment. And then before this moment of terror that came upon that nation that brought about their freedom... The instructions weren't some uh, ritual. It was saying, actually, have a meal. Cook the lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread. Why? Because in this moment, you're saying your freedom with the blood is not an, it's not an incantation. It's an invitation to intimacy. Too many Christians treat the blood as if it's like some, some Harry Potter incantation. Just plead the blood, people. 
No, it's not that. It's not now this false new age religious uh, application of it. It's a new thing that we need to do because then we turn even the blood of Jesus into something that we have control over. No, the meal was an invitation of intimacy. Will you eat and sit and trust me? See, the bitter herbs were eaten so that they remind us we're not going back. Because we want the bitter herbs to remind him the bitterness of their slavery. The unleavened bread, the bread that did not have yeast to rise because they said, you need to cook it quickly because you need to move fast. When Pharaoh says go, you go. And the lamb is the only way to your freedom. And I want to remind us in this season, freedom is calling. And his name is Jesus. And he wants, who the son says free is free indeed. And I think we have too quickly forgotten what freedom looks like. We've been duped by little sideline conversations and we've started to trifle with things and we're okay with addictions and we bought into these theologies that it's all right and we get caught up into things that are not important when God says, no, there's freedom for you. And I want you to remind it, your past is bitter, don't go back. You've got to move fast. Don't wait, don't delay, don't wait for another day. Trust the Lamb. Trust the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus brings freedom. Secondly, I want to tell you, not just freedom in the story we see in Exodus 13, a reminder of full inheritance. Can you say full inheritance with so deep gravitas? Now let's try it again. One more time. Beautiful. Chapter 13 kicks off like this. On the back of this, this exodus out of Egypt, on the back of that sacrifice that night, the Passover night. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Dedicate or consecrate to me every firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. In verse 11, 12, he says, when he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn males animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. Now, read this. You might be going, what's going on here? The first thing they do out of Egypt, God says to them, as you're leaving Egypt, I want you in this moment to dedicate all your firstborn sons to me. Now, what does that play here? It's something that's in, in the in Jewish tradition is called the law of the primogeniture. Don't worry about that. But it's the understanding of the inheritance that belongs to the firstborn. We see this at play in the Genesis story. Jacob and Esau. Esau was going to get the blessing. But then Jacob, who was the secondborn, the legitimate one to the blessing, he duped his way in to get the blessing. And Esau gave up the blessing. If you're not tracking with me, it's all right. But in Genesis, it's this understanding. The Jewish people had this understanding. The Israelites had this understanding that the lineage would pass down from firstborn male to firstborn male, firstborn male, which was not meaning exclusive and and that's terrible for others. No, but that was the way the family line was preserved, that financial freedom, land freedom, uh, all the, the spiritual authority would pass from father to son to son to son, generation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, onwards, the people of Israel. That was how it was supposed to do until 430 years of slavery. 430 years of slavery, that whole system ground to a halt because for 430 years, they, they live for the next meal, never mind inheritance. We're just living for next day. We've been learned, we learned that we're not, we're not living as sons, we're living as slaves. That actually, we just want to, just as long as Pharaoh gives us a, a day off every now and again, maybe if he just, if maybe he just gives us a little bit more food or something, a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a, a pep talk or something, that'll be okay. But they've been, forgot what they were called to, forgot what they were born for, what they are made for. We see in Hosea, when God is now leading his people out of Egypt, we, Hosea talks about, says, out of Egypt I called my son. You see, when God talks about his chosen people, Israel, not based on their obedience, not based on their prayer life, not based on the miracles, but based on his covenant with them, he calls them his son, his firstborn, the nation. Those are his people. 
So when he calls him out, he calls him as his son out of Egypt, but also into inheritance. Too many Christians and preachers stop short of, you're saved out of, you're free. Free for what? Now what do we do? And that's why in chapter 13, the first thing that God instructs him is dedicate the firstborns. I want to remind you of where you've come from. I want to remind you of what you've forgotten. I want to remind you that though you think, hey, now we're just free slaves. No, no, you're now free sons with a full inheritance. And this is huge for you and I because what relevance does this have to you and I today? I'm glad you asked people. You guys ask the best questions. When we come to this man named Jesus Christ, it is no mistake that when God speaks about Jesus, in John 3 we hear that he is the only begotten son of the Father. In the book of Hebrews, we told that Jesus is our older brother. We told in Colossians that he is the firstborn among all creation, that he is the firstborn among the dead. Jesus is the true and better legitimate firstborn son. Where Israel failed, Jesus says, I'm the one who redeems. He's the firstborn in every single sense of the word. But what is so huge for you and I is that in the, the, the miracle of this story is that secondborns, those thirdborns, those illegitimate, those who maybe are not the, the, the prototype ones that are set up for blessing, how do we get in on this blessing? Now I'm glad you asked again. If you as a secondborn want to get into the blessing, the inheritance, not just partial, not just living with scrap, but the full blessing that was meant for the firstborn, the firstborn had to die. That's why for 430 years they were slaves, they had forgotten, they had handed over their fullness of their wealth and their future to the Egyptians. So when the angel of death comes, what does the angel of death do? He kills all the firstborns of Egypt. The very next chapter is the firstborns of Israel, you are getting reinstated as the people carry the blessing. When you leave Egypt, you leave with wealth from Egypt. Not just with your freedom, but the wealth of Egypt with you. This is God being saying, and the pattern for you and I is huge, is that we're on the Good Friday, when the firstborn among all creation stood on the cross, and when he died, he died as the first Adam, but the firstborn died so that on Sunday, when he rose, many sons, many illegitimate sons, many illegitimate daughters, many though those who have messed up too bad, who are so, I'm so disqualified, I just, I'm just happy to be set free. He says, no, 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 no. Many sons are being led to glory, full inheritance. Being redeemed for people. This is good preaching. Maybe just for me. Sorry. I'm like, come on. I want to remind us that the legitimate get blessed and the legitimate get the full inheritance. I love this because I'm the third born in my family. And in a natural sense, when my mom and dad die, I'm getting a coffee table. If I'm lucky. Thank you, Zimbabwe economy. But, but in the spiritual, because of Jesus... I'm telling you, I'm a firstborn. I'm someone who's inherited the full inheritance, but we forget too quickly. And we make bigger things, smaller things. We make smaller things, bigger things, and our lives get huge in front of us. That's why we need to go back to Scripture and hear the God of the Exodus saying, move again. Freedom's for you. Move again. Full inheritance is still there for you. So I say to you today, I, oh, I love in this narrative as well that the whole bunch of non-Israelites join the Israelites when they get set free. Did you know that? The end of Exodus 12, we see a whole lot of Egyptians who see this freedom, see God move their behalf, saying, we also went out. I don't want to live for this fear anymore. And they come and they join these guys, non-Israelites with no promise, no covenants, no behavior. They've been oppressors. But they join them and God puts a pattern away for these guys to inherit the land. Oh, the oppressor and the oppressed even get set free. This is the good news of the gospel. I say today, maybe you've sold out. Maybe you've been found out. Maybe you're down and out. Maybe you've been caught out. Or maybe you're just playing out longing to be in. 
on some story. I want to tell you, you were made for a full inheritance and God won't stop fighting until you receive all of it. You are made for it. And we've got to remind our hearts of this. Thirdly and finally today, we were made for freedom. God is fighting for your freedom. It is not a periphery. It's not just a one-day win thing. There's freedom for you now. Don't go back. Bitter. Don't go back to it. Move quickly. The blood of the Lamb is enough. Full inheritance. Not partial. Not just being, okay, I'm just, just living my, no, there's fullness. Get the bit between your teeth. Thirdly and finally, there's a future that I think we and these Israelites never dreamt was possible. You see, they come, the blood, chapter 13 is about the firstborns, chapter 14 is all about the water. 430 years, they never dreamt what comes next. As they get set free, as they're following Moses this, and this rabble, two million or so people following him out of Egypt, what do we, they've got gold, how, how do we get so lucky and so excited and they're starting this amazing and then they come, boop, stopped dead by the Red Sea. What now, Moses? Moses like, oh, didn't get the memo. I'm playing this by ear, guys. <laughs> Like, oh, okay, cool, cool, we'll camp off here for a while. That's fine, seaside holiday. Yeah, I can handle it. Shoes off, suntan, factor 50. There were no redheads, just a biblical <laughs> thought at that stage, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, but don't digress. But we see what happens next as Pharaoh clicks into gear and says, actually, I don't want to let them go. He sends his, his army to go and bring them back to slavery. And all of a sudden, they see the cloud coming of smoke, of the, of the dust, of the, the might of Pharaoh's army coming for them. And they start to panic. Pharaoh wants him back, but also now their hearts start to say, Moses, what have you done to lead us into the wilderness to die? At least in Egypt, we had graves. I want to go back. Take me back, Pharaoh. And when I, when I read that, I'm reminded that this is where you can laugh and snigger and go, what, what stupid Israelites. Like, come on, guys, you've just seen God's mighty hand and you forget. And you're making now a, something that should be small into a massive thing for you. But actually, don't we do that all the time? Because I want to remind us, we're in a war. The enemy wants you back. Yeah. And let me say it even harder. Our evil hearts want to go back. Yeah. Why do I still struggle with the pull every now and again to sin, to apathy, to fear? Why do I still struggle with that? Because my evil heart is still being renewed. It's still bent towards Egypt. God wants to get us out of Egypt, but then he wants to get Egypt out of us. But this is the moment, this moment, I love the story. Moses then gets up and they start to panic. They're freaking out. They're running around. Moses says, just be still. God will do it. Which sounds great because up to now, that's what has happened. They had no participation in the first nine plagues. The blood, they literally just did a little bit of paint by numbers. That was it. That's our contribution. So Moses said, just be still. I love it when God interrupts a sermon. Moses is preaching, just be still. God says, Moses, what are you telling them? He says, why are you crying out to me? Tell them to get moving. And God tells Moses, I don't want you to be still. I want you to lift your hand. And the waters are going to pass, and I want you to go through this water. I want you to move, because I have not just set you free for freedom. I've not just set you free for an inheritance. I've got a future for you that you cannot see, that you cannot comprehend, that you cannot imagine. I've got a future for you that will astound you. Will you trust me? This is huge for you and me because actually when I see this narrative played out together, 12, 13, 14, these chapters, I see a God who says, receive my freedom, but I also want you to respond to it. This is not just a passive thing. This is the people of God who receive it by grace, but then walk it out by grace. Walk it out by faith. This is a reminder in the New Testament, we see the blood and salvation, and then we see the appropriate response of baptism. 
the blood and then the waters opening up. Blood and water played out again and again. We see in Revelation chapter 5 when he says, this is how we'll overcome. He says, I saw a lamb that was slain. But don't weep no more because there is a lion of the tribe of Judah who has overcome. We see the lamb and the lion. We see salvation and baptism. We see the blood and we see the water. We see on Friday there was death. But good news is there wasn't just Good Friday. We love Good Friday. But with Good Friday, we've also got the equal power of Resurrection Sunday. This is the good news. We've got freedom. We've got future. We've got blood and we've got water. And if you're wanting to know the title of the sermon, maybe it's a bit late in point three. It's to tell you the title. It's called Blood and Water. A faith that understands the blood and the water. Let me reel this in as we bring this into land. Exodus 12. Moses says, I want you to get the blood of the lamb and I want you to paint it on your door frames. And he gives him explicit instructions how to do that. Use a hyssop branch. What is a hyssop branch? Another great question. A hyssop branch is a water reed. So when they would have cut that and started to paint the blood, as the blood was put up, water would have been gushing down with the blood at the same moment. Blood and water would have been sealing their fate, their future inheritance, and their future. Where do we see that again? When Jesus dies on the cross in John chapter 19, we told that as they put a spear in his side, it says blood and water start to pour out. Blood and water start to gush out. What is so huge for you and I is in Zechariah, if you read that in John 19, for time's sake, go do that at home. But in Zechariah chapter 12, a profound, profound indica- uh, indication says this, they will look on me, a prophetic word about Jesus. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. But on that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. And Pele, can you come play keys? Because this last story is a goodie. According to Jewish tradition, every year they forgot. They, they were reminded of their freedom. They were reminded of their full inheritance. They were reminded of their future. And Israel people who then rehearsed this story every year through the Passover. Every Friday night, they rehearse this to remind themselves that though other things may be falling apart, this is the big story. But along that journey, there's like people like us forget. And they start to add and add and add and add extra laws, add extra things and, and extra bondages on their freedom. Extra bondages that will keep them to, to the full expression of their future. So every year, every week, they do these sacrificial systems of, of the blood of bulls and goats and, and doves. And so much, if you can think about this, in the temple, it was a quite a gory place to be. Lots of blood. But Jewish tradition will tell us that in the temple, where the sacrifices happened, they've actually, because of that, they didn't have a great system for drainage. So they've got two, they've got two holes that lead out into the waterway system of the Jewish, Jewish neighboring area. So can you imagine all as the blood, the sacrifice, the blood started to pull down there and they would come and they would wash that blood down. Anyone who was coming up to the temple would often walk past a river, a stream that was gushing full of water and blood going past them out of the temple. Water and blood flowing from the temple. And they would know, good, they, they're dealing with our sins. Yes, freedom is coming. Yes, I'm reminded of my inheritance. Yes, I'm reminded of my future. And this was happening in the temple. But when Jesus dies on the cross outside of the temple, as an illegitimate one, somebody who, who should have been seen as the king of kings, the son of God, but was sacrificed as just a liar and a thief, an illegitimate person like you and I, outside of the temple, outside of his side, flowed blood and water to say the sacrifice has been done once and for all, for our freedom, for our full inheritance, for our future. 
this is the good news of the gospel that we are called to rehearse and remind our souls because we too easily forget. Let's stand to our feet. Today I came with one objective to remind sons and daughters that you were made for and God fights for your freedom. Not partial, but in whole. Freedom from addictions, from hurts, from bitterness, from pain, from fear, from anxiety. Freedom is the cry of heaven. He fought and died for your full inheritance. He fought and died for a future. And some of you have hit roadblocks and some of you things have seemed to have ground to hold relation. You feel, what more? Maybe let me just try and manage the rest of my life. God says, no, you weren't made to manage things. You're made to imagine things with me. That I've got bigger things for you. Will you trust me? This is the story I want to land with. When I went to the Congo a few years ago, there was a, a massive statue in the city square there of their freedom fighter, Joseph Kabila. And the statue is of this man with chains broken above his head. The statue in this pose with chains broken, one chain in this hand, one chain in that hand, declaring freedom for the people. But the problem was when I went to Congo years later, the people were not free. Economically, politically, they were just under another oppressive regime. And as I saw this, I just reminded that, isn't that the problem though? Because when we get set free, we refuse to drop our chains. We stop just with, I'm free. But God says, for a full inheritance. You're free for a future. Will you drop the chains? Will you move into, I can't, I can't let go. No, bitter herbs, let go. Don't go back. Move quickly. Time, today is the day. Don't wait for another day. Don't wait for another moment. Don't defer it to when I'm more obedient. Don't defer it when I've prayed more prayers. Don't defer it when God does a miracle. Our freedom, our future inheritance, our, our full life that God has got for us is not in our obedience, not in our prayer life. It's not in some mystical ability. No, it's in Jesus' blood alone. I invite you to come to the blood and the water where we receive and we respond. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was an incredible message. If you want to get connected, please head over to our website. But if you want to find out more about this amazing series, follow us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Otherwise, have an incredible week.